Americans seem hell-bent on slicing our population into smaller and ever smaller groups of them and us. From our very beginnings 400 years ago, we split our ranks over just about every possible disagreement. But now another sorting is underway, a parting of politics and attitudes between new America and old America, one that'll change the country slowly but inevitably, and some people do not like it. In his new book, Standoff, How America Became Ungovernable, Bill Schneider, for nearly 20 years CNN's political analyst and now a professor at George Mason University, argues that it's petrifying our political parties and the lawmaking bodies that are supposed to be governing us. And where other presidents talked about uniting the nation, Donald Trump is making political hay from cracking open the divides even wider. I'm assuming from the title that you think America is ungovernable. Yes, it is. Although I do argue in the book that there's one condition that enables us to really become governable, and that is a crisis, a real crisis, such as the sort of thing we had, God forbid, on 9-11-2001 or the financial crash in 2008, any kind of crisis. Then suddenly we become governable because the public says, do something right now or you're going to be all thrown out of office. And they snap to attention and get things done. In the book, you do talk about how our government was structured to be one of molasses in winter. And it's not supposed to do much. Why is that? Because it was founded by the founders who wrote a document creating checks and balances, separation of power. They didn't like strong government. They just fought a revolution against the tyranny, against the King of England. We believe in limited government. Limited, but workable government. It seems that they limited it, but didn't leave much to work with. Well, they didn't in the Constitution because they didn't talk at all about the one thing that makes the government work. That's public opinion. In fact, when they wrote the Constitution, they tried to insulate the government to limit the power of public opinion with the Electoral College. Senators were elected by state legislatures. Federal judges never had to face the voters. They wanted to limit public opinion and its impact. But public opinion is what makes it work. When there's an overwhelming urgency out there, usually because of a crisis, and people demand that something be done, suddenly the checks and balances disappear. All the blockages don't mean anything. And things happen. Otherwise, we don't work well at all. I'm surprised that they didn't trust public opinion because it was public opinion that really tilted things in favor of having a revolution, of separating from Mother England. Why didn't they trust us, the people who made the revolution in the first place? What they trusted were the aristocracy. They were the only ones who could really vote. You had to be a male, a white male property owner. Those are the only, that's the only public opinion they trusted, and it was an elite opinion. The one thing that is not in our Constitution is populism. And I say in the book, the United States of America is the most populist country in the world. Next to the United States, the rest of the world is Saudi Arabia. It was true then, and it's true now. Populist in the sense of popular opinion mattering. And not trusting elites. We don't trust any kind of elite, business elites, financial elites. We don't want them to have too much power because they'll abuse it. So we divide the power and we limit the power. Well, let's talk a little about the new America and the old America because a lot of it seems to be pushed by demographics. It isn't so much that people are signing up or checking a box saying, I'm part of new America. It's that there is a new America that's been emerging since the 60s. Since the 60s, we've had the emergence of two movements, a movement on the left, I call it the new America, a movement on the right, the old America. 
which have basic differences of values. The old America values limited government, traditional values, and especially religion, which is uniquely important in the United States. We are the most religious, advanced, industrial society in the world. And the new America, which believes in diversity and inclusion, something that the old America does not like. Well, this conflict between these two visions of America, it's a basic conflict of values. Politics used to be about conflicts of interest, like business versus labor. Conflicts of interest can be compromised. They can be negotiated. You can make deals. That's how our government is supposed to work with all the divisions. You have to make deals. Who belongs to the new America? It has been, and I've even outlined a convenient 10 groups that make up the new America. They overlap a good deal. But what I'm talking about is immigrants, gays who have become politically conscious and have emerged as a force in American politics. It includes working women, which has only been in the last 30 years or so. It includes single mothers, and single mothers are of all races. It includes educated professionals who you wouldn't think of as being an out-group, but they never felt as if they had any influence or power, but now they do. It includes one group that nobody talks about much, the unchurched. A lot of Americans, a growing number, it's now about one in four Americans, belong to no organized religion. It's been growing slowly over the last few decades. The unchurched are now a force, and they don't accept the same religious and cultural values as Americans who are deeply religious. All of these are the new America, and young people, of course. Donald Trump is the president. Donald Trump is the antithesis of traditional values, yet he's the leader of this old America. That's right. He made a deal with conservatives and with the old America and with the religious right. He can hardly be called a, m- a member of the religious right. He's not much of a churchgoer, and his values and his st- lifestyle really don't fit what they uh, admire. The religious voters and Donald Trump and the traditional old America voters, they made a deal. We'll support you if you deliver for us. They were desperate to have someone who could deliver, and they saw Donald Trump as someone who really could do that. Yeah. Hey, Johnny, what are you rebelling against? The split, this new America and old America, we see confrontations literally in the streets now between new and old America. In the 60s and 70s, it was the hard hats and the Vietnam protesters as well. Is there not this conflict every generation or two in the country? I would argue we're the most divided we've been since the Civil War. And the division is real, and it has been growing and growing since the 1960s when the new America began to emerge. Now, a lot of Democrats say, well, demographics is on our side. Our people are increasing. And all the groups that make up the new America are, in fact, growing in size and as part of the electorate. Every group except Jews and blacks, which are staying about the same. But there's a rule of thumb that I'll share with you. Demographics is long. Politics is short. Demographics takes a long time to realize itself in politics. But politics is something that can happen, can change overnight. Just like Donald Trump seemed to come out of nowhere. The situation we're in now is that the wealthier you are, the more likely you are to vote and to be a Republican. Mitt Romney, he was the prince of wealth. The better educated you are, the more likely you are to vote Democratic. That was Barack Obama, the prince of education. Education versus wealth, that's the basic division in our elite right now, and it's really shaping American politics. I always have a student who raises his or her hand and says, what if someone is wealthy and well-educated? A lot of people are. I said, well, then they're cross-pressured. They're pulled in different directions. If they vote their economic interests, they're going to vote Republican, like Mitt Romney. 
If they vote their cultural values, they're going to vote Democratic, like Barack Obama. I was interested, too, in what you said about the educated professionals feeling that they've been sidelined. But if the founding fathers were elites and put power in the hands of the elites, what happened to that model? (laughs) Well, the founding fathers were elites and they were well-educated and they held themselves above the ordinary people. That's why the Electoral College was supposed to be made up of local notables who were well-educated and sophisticated. That didn't last very long. Populism took over and they overthrew that Electoral College system and turned power over to the people. That's been the case over and over again. Once the people have power, they ain't going to give it up. They're not going to give it up. And that's part of our populism, our populist tradition. We won with poorly educated. I love the poorly educated. They want people who are competent in doing their jobs. But in this country, I'll tell you, historically, there's much more resentment of education than there is of wealth. Wealthy people are often admired by ordinary Americans. There's a lot of resentment of education in this country, and it really overshadows resentment of wealth. Another way of dividing us that you wrote about in the book is that we are becoming more like Europe, socialists versus nationalists. And this is a recent development? Yeah, this is recent. Socialism has become more respectable in the United States, principally among young people. Who are not terrified of it the way the the Cold War Americans. Exactly. Young people didn't live through the Cold War. They didn't live through McCarthyism. They have no memory of any of that. And so it's not a scare word the way it is to older generations. And so therefore you get a lot of people, including political candidates, who talk openly about socialism, socialist values. They usually say democratic socialism because they don't want people to think they're communist. But uh, it's now become a fairly respectable term. And nationalism has always been very respectable on the right. Fascism is not, of course. But nationalism, it's always been powerful in this country. What does this mean for the two major political parties if we have socialists and nationalists, if we have the values versus the interest voters? What's happened is the parties have become calcified. Their support has become solid, and people don't switch parties very much. People grow up as Republicans. They have Republican values, and they don't really change. And Democrats grow up with Democratic values, and they don't really change. So that's why people are suddenly taking demographics very seriously, because there doesn't seem to be much of a middle way. Is Donald Trump an experiment, or is he the future? I don't think he's the future of the country, but he is an experiment among those on the right to put their trust in someone they really don't agree with and many of them don't trust or like to deliver for them. The idea was that the Republican Congress would pass a lot of right-wing laws, he would sign them into law, and he would keep his mouth shut. The problem is he won't keep his mouth shut. And every time he opens his mouth, I think he horrifies more and more people, including some of those who are his hardcore supporters. He's not like Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan exuded generosity of spirit. No one has ever used that word to describe Donald Trump. A politician once said, in politics, you have to have a base. Your base are the people who are with you when you're wrong. Bill Clinton had a base during Monica Lewinsky. Ronald Reagan had a base during Iran-Contra. Donald Trump has a base. He has his own army. And frankly, it's terrifying elected Republicans all over the country. They're terrified that his base will come out and defeat them in a Republican primary. It just happened with Mark Sanford in South Carolina. And they're terrified of being what they call Sanford. We'll see what happens in the November election. I expect this to be the anti-Trump election, just like 2014, that midterm I call the Obama midterm, when people rebelled against President Obama. The one thing that's different about Donald Trump, he's different from any other president we've ever had. He's a divider. 
Even Abraham Lincoln was not a divider. He came at a divided time, but he tried to reconcile the country. When he started his second inaugural address, it was with the words, with malice toward none, with charity for all. Donald Trump saw the division in the country, and like a shrewd businessman, which he is, he said, I can make something of this division. I can use it to promote myself. And that's exactly what he did. Donald Trump, as we know, is a reality television star. Every television show ends up going off the air getting canceled. The ratings sink. People lose interest. Is that going to happen with him as a political leader? Oh, yeah. But the question is, could he be reelected for a second term? I tend to be doubtful, but it very much depends on whom the Democrats put up. But the 2020 election will be defining in that respect. A lot of people, myself among them, believe that that's the election when Donald Trump will be forced into retirement. But again, we have to see what the Democrats come up with. Bill Snyder, I wish I had your political brain. (laughs) Thank you so much. Okay. Happy to be here. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's engineered by Dave Wine and Mike Heflin and edited by Heflin. The audio is Yorktown from the musical Hamilton by Lin-Manuel Miranda and Topsy-Turvy World by Natalie Merchant on the Nonesuch label's Leave Your Sleep album. The song is an English folk ballad, and the tune, according to myth, was played by the British at their surrender at Yorktown, a song called The World Turned Upside Down, as indeed it had been. The Trump audio is from CNN, and Marlon Brando appears in the movie The Wild One from Columbia Pictures. Subscribe to Pat Morrison Asks and never miss a podcast. If the pony rode its master and if buttercups ate the cow, if the cat had...